Paris, the city of dreams, but also the city of untapped opportunity that starts with a spectacular ability to not only be heard, but felt. As individuals, we have such an opportunity to make a difference in the lives of the people that orbit our sphere of influence. It takes a level of commitment, but first, deep-seated values that are non-negotiable. I was in Paris recently, taking a weekend just for me, and as I walked around the magical city, I couldn't help but think about all of the values that the great writers and the artists and the painters and the chefs have over the centuries maintained and held so close to them. Values that further bring about great meaning and great purpose and long-lasting contributions long after they're gone. Ultimately, the things we stand for and our personal truths, both having such a profound influence on our well-being and mental health, because with them both, we have an understanding of who we truly are and how it is that we can lift others up to. Dr. Paul Wong, Professor Emeritus at Trent University in Canada and clinical psychologist spoke about this in a chat a few episodes ago. Mental anguish stems from not knowing who we are or having achieved a level of sustainable well-being that adds depth to our lives. Depth comes from so many different things and one way to live more wholly and with more meaning, which I know we all want, is understanding the value and the impacts we make in the lives of others. Isaac and Ora Prilitensky, in their book, How People Matter, write, and I quote, the belief in our ability to make a difference is crucial for adding value and making meaning. How we add value and to what we add value depends on values such as caring, equality, solidarity, autonomy, and kindness, end quote. To top up on Dr. Wong and in agreement of his position that life's setbacks set the course for a new path for us, our experiences are what help us help others. And I hope all of the things we go through in life aren't in vain. That our painful moments give us strength and the consideration for others and a renewed belief in ourselves too. This episode looks at this and more and I'm joined by Daniel Young a remarkable human who is helping new Canadians navigate corporate Canada with confidence and certitude. Having come to Canada from Hong Kong as a young man himself, he understands the plight of starting from scratch, of starting over, of having a whole future ahead of himself. And sometimes being new comes with situations where maybe people are turning an eye and that can't be easy. Helping lift others up, Daniel is very much like the animal I've chosen to name this podcast after and what we're drawing human health and well-being metaphors from. Glass sponges have continued to live for over 520 million years because of their innate ability to take care of themselves, which I'll talk more about later in an episode because the science behind that is so interesting. But also, they've been able to survive in due part because they take care of each other too. It's also been noticed when one uh uh, animal was damaged and started to fall over. Um, what it did is it didn't quite fall completely over. It fell into a sponge next to it. And over a period of time, that sponge um, actually took in part of that. So the, the sponge that fell over, its body absorbed into the sponge that was still straight up. Um, and it actually saved it. And But it, you know, it literally morphed into and became one animal. So, I mean, that, that to me is almost science fiction. You know, it's, it's, it's not something you know, human beings could ever do. And so, again, just amazing. It, it's, but it's here on our planet. You know, we, we only have to, it's not like we have to travel hundreds of thousands of, of kilometers to go visit a, a separate planet. We have these things right here. Um, 
and uh, and they're able to uh, you know get down there and even and video them. Once again, that's Hamish Tweed, a deep sea diver off the coast of British Columbia, who for the past 25 years has been studying the local waters to understand just how it is glass sponge reefs have continued to evolve, but most importantly, how they've been a resource of sorts for all the surrounding animals, including their fellow glass sponges, for so long. And every time that he goes underwater, he is absolutely astonished. That's what he told me. Astonished that they've got properties being able to hold each other up. Remarkable. If you help someone, they'll make the community you live in better. Over time, I start looking back on how would my life be if I have this and this and that? Then I kind of turn around and, well, if, I, if I'm in position to give that to others, why not? In every regard, Daniel brings to life this spirit of saving each other. And maybe in the end, we're saving ourselves too. I'm Elena Iacono. This is Sturdy Glass Sponges. And here's Daniel Young. Hi, Daniel. Hello. One of my favorite people, you're on this episode, and I admire you so much. How are you? I'm doing very well. Listen, I want to talk to you because I really couldn't have thought of anyone else to talk to about the incredible work that you're doing to support social well-being in Canada, and which ultimately leads to good mental health. But before I go into my questions and learning what you've been doing to bring meaning to your life as well, what does well-being mean to you? How would you des- describe that in a few words? Well, I think the um, the, the multi layers of well-being, and your know, mental well-being, your social, your physical, and relationship. I think these are the things that I look at from a well-being standpoint. Is a lot of people associated with financial, which is important too. That is, I I really think about you need to look at the in your life, your need change. But I think when you look at well-being, this all go back to if you're right financial, right mindset, right physical well-being and right relationship with socially. I think that's to me is sort of the overall what is well-being mean to me. And what about from a community perspective? How does giving and being available and present for people help you keep well? In fact, like the work that I do is so stressful. There are constant changes. Um, being in a community, helping people or accepting help from others is what keeps me sane. Like, there's no way I can just focus on work without having community support me. And you know I'm a runner. You know, nobody likes to run. Not everyone's want to run every day in the winter, in the summer. But the community is there to support you. I relate that to work. You know, there are days that I don't feel like going to work, but there are people there to support you. And if there's no one's there, I'll reach out to someone to grab a coffee to make sure that I feel that I'm welcome to work. And so community is a big part and socially. Or again, the different levels of social. Yes. The community, the work community, the where you live, then your hobbies, education, the different aspects of community. I think they all play an important role into my well-being. And how would you say what you do, and we're going to unpack this in a bit, but how would you say what you do to help empower others comes natural to you? It's never feel natural, but I would say that you just, I think one of the things that I look at is you need to understand it is more important for people that needs to help than for the inconvenience that I, it's my time, I'm busy. To me, I know that in the grand scheme, if you help someone, 
they will make the community you live in better. Eventually, you're gonna people pay it forward. Eventually, it will make you better because you never know when you need or your kids will need it. And but I always look at that as um, I always prioritize helping those who need help. And because if you don't put that as a priorities, guess what would happen? You know, people may not have the right job. Then what do they do? You know, abusive in alcohol, family, and then what do they do to the child, the children? Or oh, there's so many things that the downstream impacts for, like for people that not getting the help that they need. So I'm just playing my part. And every day I solve a little bit problem myself. It's my contribution to the place that I call home now because I'm new to Canada. This is home. And when when did you come? When did you come to Canada? I came as a student uh, over thirty years ago. And what was it like moving here? I mean, it's a, you know different. I'm 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 Canadian born, Italian culture, Italian heritage. I have a sense of understanding of what the um, you know the newcomer experience looks like through the stories that my grandparents told me. But it was such a long time ago. I don't know. But what was that experience like for you coming to Canada? For me, it's very refreshing, very different because I. I was not a very outgoing person. I didn't know much about the world. I, I came here as a student, but I came here at 17. So that was the kind of the formative years whereby you, you kind of have a bit of independent. But when I came here, I had to learn the whole new world, a new language, new social norms. Everything is brand new. So I, I was telling someone that for the first two or three years, I feel like at six years old. Everything is so new and so interesting to me. Even when I go to church group, I would put into the with the kiddies, not with the adult. And so I would say that I was having a fast track program to learn to be a baby, to be an adult when I was in university in a short few years. But if you think about that experience, if you were to come yet at like before 13 years old, before you hit puberty, you just you can integrate just like that. But if you come here a bit older, like you're, then you come here with a whole load of responsibility on your shoulder, and you, your everyone experience is different. So we can really look at you are immigrants, you have the same experience. It's not at all. It's really depending on the context and how old you are. And so I just had that conversation with a couple so-called immigrants yesterday and uh, we shared our own story then yes really we all had different story and so i know that when we first spoke getting ready for this discussion and i asked you i thought you know i, I really need you to be a part of this project we had touched on racism and discrimination and we flipped it around you know we flipped it around to talk about belonging and inclusivity and i, I think that as a nation we're doing a lot we still have a lot to do and we certainly as a humanity have a lot to do in that front too but did you ever encounter any moments of racism or discrimination? And how did you combat that head on? To be honest, I did not in the past. Um, I, I, I think I sort of accept that, oh, this is how it is. So we call that. I minimized the impact and I talked to myself. I figured a way to navigate this. So I think the, the term they use is minimization. I minimized the the impacts because I figured out how to navigate the system to get to where I am. So people may say, well, you're very successful. Yeah, I learned how to navigate. But over time, I started looking around this. 
be how do I confront this in a way that is constructive is helpful because often that when you think about where racism come from, a lot of time it's come from unknown and fear, ignorance. So a lot of time that uh, I'm known to be a collaborative person, a lot of time it's really about how we bringing people together on the same page. When you're on the same page, then you will not make quick judgment. And we do that too. And so from that perspective, I think over the years, instead of starting to minimize things, I started to help uh, use my own way to bring understanding and bring common grounds. I mean, if there are people that still, well, now you understand, but you're still trying to be racist, then to me, I just make a choice decision that yes, then I don't associate people like that. At the end of the day, don't feel like a victim. There's a decision that you can make. There's a choice that you make, right? Yeah, and and you raised some interesting points about figuring out how to how to navigate that, but also what's so striking through the work that you're doing, and I want you to explain it, is helping others navigate the Canadian corporate landscape. So talk to us a little bit about what you're doing, the network you're a part of, all the good stuff that you're helping new Canadians find meaningful work and enter the workplace. I'm part of the uh, organization that uh, employee resource group called Mosaic. Within Mosaic, we have uh, mentoring programs. So I started joining the organization as a mentor. So I work with uh, Toronto Region Immigrant Employment Council so that uh, they were assigned a mentee that are new to Canada. And then my job is to help answer questions, help them explain to them what corporate culture is like and really help them build network. And this is sort of the job. But when I actually get closer to that, the job is more than just introducing people to them. It's really help them understand that, help them recognize where they came from. They are so used to certain like other norms, their own corporate or business culture, their own background, the way they interact socially with people. I help them understand that, yes, how they translate, how you do it before and how this is done in Canada, but how do you bridge the gap? Because one of the biggest challenges that new Canadian face in Canada is they said they get, they feel like there's rejection. I don't get, I don't have Canadian experience or, or my experience not recognized and, or I apply for a job and I want to talk to people. No one want to talk to me, but really a lot of this is really about, they don't understand all these things happen, but don't assume normal Canadian understand where you come from is you also have to play a part to educate others so from that perspective I am trying to like not about not just about helping new Canadian understand the system but in doing this I actively network in my own community to help Canadians to understand what the value that immigrants bring to Canada and so from that perspective we're actively doing a I call it a translation job on both sides and and it's very rewarding when you do that because when you start seeing the aha moment on both sides and like this afternoon i ran into two new canadians one i mentored him three years ago 11 months applying for a thousand job not a single interview and now he's running one of the biggest places like one of the biggest transformative projects in his life and he was thinking about well things change so much because he didn't understand how the system work here. And from that perspective, I think those are the work that I find rewarding is about helping people that speak a language that they didn't know. Because a lot of time people 
kind of default back to the comfort zone. This is how it worked before. It should. This is how it should work here. And they know that's not the case. And sometimes I also put myself in the shoes. Walk like walk a days in their own shoes. I always think, ask myself. You know, I use an example. You're from, you know, Egypt. You come to Canada. You find how to get a job. And I would tell them, don't get discouraged because if I move to Egypt, I'll be struggling too. So from that perspective, we are all learning. We work together. So to me, I always want to make sure that when I help people. Not just about I'm not here to help you, but I'm also here to learn from you. So to make sure that they feel that as value as they are back home versus they're here. So yeah, and and so so this net so this mentorship. So I know that you have one on ones with people that you you know you organize sessions and you 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 foster connections, which is so important. But more talk a little bit about the skill building. So I remember at one point you introduced me to the work that. You and the team were doing, you know, resume, resume prep, uh, mock interviews, all that. Can you just shed a little bit more light on how you help people get prepared for interviews and making getting their foot through the door? Well, I I kind of I create a system that I tell people that don't just apply for a job and hope for the interview. To me, about being relatable is most important. Relatable, not just on the resume front. For those who are used to applying for a job, we always need to match your resume with a job posting. That's relate being relatable, as opposed to having the recruiter trying to fish out the information they need in your resume. That's number one. The second one about being relatable is when you do have a chance to go through interview, you want to come across as someone that already understand the context of the person who interview you, so that. Having networking meeting, having different meeting, so that you understand the industry. Talk to people in the industry. Talk to customer. Talk to people that work in the function. Understand the day-to-day job. Having so that you will maybe kind of I call it immerse yourself in their shoes, so that when you do have the interview, you can come across as speaking the language the way they speak, articulating problem the way they articulate. The third is about transferable skill. They. A lot of time, I have that experience back home, but then, well, this is Canada. We're not a developing country, as an example. So your experience back home may not be applicable in Canada. Well, how do you ever resolve for that? I would say, well, instead of trying to compare the market to market, the two different market, why don't you use some of neutral words such as scope complexity? You know, when you look at if you navigate multiple layers, it's multiple layers. If the scope of the size that we involve multiple function, multiple vendors, and dollar amount, use kind of neutral word that without trying to highlight. Well, you only have that experience in this particular country. Don't do that. So I try to help them being relatable on all aspect. So that, so I always tell people that、um, don't just apply for the job. If you apply for one job, trying to talk to five to ten people before you, you. Put yourself in front of the interview. In fact, don't even apply for a job. Start talking to people, and so I think it, I, a lot of my mentees start to find that it actually resonate with them well, because they're so focused on getting the job, without necessarily understanding that a large part of being、uh, successful in the job interview process is for you to come across and being comfortable in. The the company they apply in, so that you need to present yourself to be I am Canadian as opposed to I'm an immigrant. 
Yeah, and and I, I, you're creating such a sense of belonging, you know, such a sense of hope and inspiration. And um, I, I can't imagine what it's like to arrive in a foreign place and not have anyone help you and you're uplifting. And I think, what what's that saying that you always say? I need to write this down. You know, if you're in a position of privilege, it's, it's your responsibility to um, lift people up. Talk a little bit about your personal mantra because it, it's so moving. Well, I... I came to that sort of conclusion um, in the last few years, mentoring, supporting people. Really, it comes down to is um, I, as I start mentoring people, I say, well, I need to learn to go through what they go through, networking. I can't get people to talk to me. And then when I reach out through LinkedIn to people that I don't know, my success rate to get a connection meeting was like, 20, 100 times more successful. And when I open doors with a hiring manager, can you talk to someone? The hiring manager tend to respond to me. They might look at it, but why? Why wouldn't they respond to immigrants? Well, I work for a very reputable, large organization. My job title, my experience. People that automatically would assume my identity as credible. So I open doors for me. And then as I go through that, and I look at that, that's a privilege to be working in a reputable organization. So from that perspective, I started to look at this, what else can I do to help share my privilege? So I start introducing the concept with a lot of people, including myself, it's like, it's my responsibility because it's not about spending one hour a week talking to many, answer questions they have. To me, there's a lot more I can do. So I think I start looking at being more proactive um, in terms of supporting uh, my mentees. And I will tell you many, many stories that I reach out to people I never met, I don't know. And then because I want to open doors for my mentees. And often I find that good things about Canadians is they do respond well. If you if you go to someone with a business proposition, they will judge us as a business. Do I want to talk to you or not? But you reach them from the, I'm wanting to help others. Most Canadians are willing to help. But the step is, it's a lot easier for me to open the doors than someone who doesn't have a network in Canada. Right. And so can you share then some examples of um, how your support has helped a new Canadian? Just maybe one or two anecdotes um, and what that all feels like for you. You know, there's a sense of pride and there must you must feel so, so good, so valued, right? That's an example that I brought the person I talked to this afternoon, as I three years ago, he came here, couldn't find any jobs. Um, extremely bright individual with good, good experience. So when I look at it, it's like, I would employ him tomorrow. And I just look at, but why did he even not getting through the interview process? And when he, then he told me, well, Daniel, when I'm on the phone with the recruiter, I'm actively trying to translate the language in my head so that I stutter. I get nervous. I couldn't express myself. So then I said to him, then, well, then maybe you need a face-to-face meeting. I started introducing him to people that practice coffee break, but I strategically put him in front of potential hiring manager to a coffee break. He thinks it's a coffee break, but it's actually more like an informal interview. And people get to see him from a very natural, non-threatening way. And from their perspective, then he get invited to apply for a job typically a job that will easily open to internal employees. But the hiring manager saw the experience of him 
and he ended up getting into an entry-level role. But three years later, he's at where he needs to be. And I just look at it as an example of me opening doors, using my director, you know, my position privilege, but to help foster the conversation. That's one example. And another one that I have done is I reached out to CEO. I want to tell you a name company because I want to open door for someone who is looking for a job in research. So I reached out to CEO on LinkedIn and just say, look, I'm helping someone who is interested in a position in your firm. They just want to learn more about your organization. Is it possible that you help introduce someone to the person or even have a meeting and conversation? But I approach it from the same point is I'm not doing it for me. I'm doing it for someone else. And a week later, um, I get a response from LinkedIn. And then the next things I know, the admin set up a meeting. So those are things that I kind of look at is, uh, you have to understand I'm an introvert. I'm a very shy person for life. I don't talk to stranger. But I think that the idea of helping others, doing things for other people, kind of help me overcome that kind of shyness. So I find these are the things that the more I do, the more I enjoy it because the more I become more outgoing, the more I become more comfortable in talking to strangers. But it's all about helping others. So to me, uh, you might say these are an example I help others, but every time I help someone, I'm actively helping myself. And you know, it's so fascinating to hear you say this because that's partly what I'm trying to do with this podcast episode is I'm trying to uncover ways that we can work through our personal hangups, our personal setbacks, our challenges, things we want to do to improve. And this whole lens of existential positive psychology, which stems from um, psychotherapy in a way I've been doing the research, existential positive psychology is all about embracing all that, all this stuff that feels hard and turning it into a capacity for us to live our whole lives. Would you say? You're living your wholest life? Oh, this never. I, I, I have this, I call it a continuous improvement mindset. And if you stop improving, you cease to exist. That, that's how I see it, you know. That's, so I would just say that over the last few years, especially when I started mentoring in a very serious manner, and my life has gotten better. Here's the things that um, if you work in, if you get a job, you get paid well, you know, that's just a job. At the end of the day, you know, um, when you're no longer needed or when you when you retire, you just move on. And But I get to do a job that I enjoy doing, but I also get to leverage the privilege that I have with this, come with this job to help others. And then when people come back to me and thank me for how I influence and how I help them, and knowing that, you know, I do my part to make the community better. So to me, that is fulfilling. That is like, that, those are things that help me get through a lot of stress. So I think when I say living a whole, the life in hold, and I just say I'm getting better and better. And I, in fact, I'm not doing just for uh, new Canadian. I'm doing it for a lot of people that in, I call it a transitional state. I call it, you don't need to, being an immigrant in a concept of you moving one country to the next, but people in transition, you're moving from one circumstance to the next. It isn't that it's like an immigrant story. You move from one state that you're comfortable with to a new state. So I started exploring that area too, how I can 
mentor others to help them with the transition and all and all about sharing my experience but also all about learning from others too i love what you just said about if you stop improving you cease to exist and when i i just wrote that down when i talked to you about the whole concept of this podcast and i decided to call it sturdy glass sponges i know you were like what the what the heck what is this but i explained it to you and it's all about these animals that live at the bottom of the ocean and we talked a little bit about how when one glass so they're reefs and when one of these organisms falls over or is in need of a pickup or you know is 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 in going through that transition of existence the others all around them help bridge them and help pick them up in a way that's what you're doing would you would you agree well when you are in the shoes that i am in i don't see that but if you say i am doing this then i who am i to disagree you know no i think i think you are and and just there's a quote that i love it's by a buddhist monk and renowned spiritual leader um tishnat han and he says that long we have to stop thinking about we've got to start thinking about rather this concept of interbeing and it's not merely that we're inter are so we're not living in this individualistic world even though it really feels like it and that there's no separate entities only manifestations that rely on each other to be possible because of you you're allowing so many people be possible like how do you what is that what do you think about that you know that's like that's legacy work my friend i'm telling you yeah i i i have a very strong and positive influence from my wife and then she does a lot of she's an educator but she does a lot of what beyond just teaching so i do see that but i i guess a lot of time when i when i went through period of time in my life in the past i see i wish someone could be there to help me actually i didn't know that only when i look back i said well if i get that type of help i would be better if i get the community i would be better happier so to me i think that is you know, I, over time i start looking back I'm a, on how would my life be if i have this and this and that then i kind of turn around and well, if I in, if I'm in position to give that to others why not and I totally agree with you it's not just about you and yourself you can do that you can live your life that way but I do say though yes somehow we are all connected in many many ways because a small decision that you made may shape and change someone's life and I do genuinely believe in that and I, that's what I kind of look at is every chance that I need to make a decision every action that I take by trying to focus on the positive side doing make things better because i know at some point in shape or form it will make me better do you feel that you're and i know that you're you know doing incredible work in the technology space but would you say then this is your true calling how do you feel about that type of word that that phrase true calling like is that something that resonates with you i know you said you're just doing this but you're not just doing it you know it's it's this is coming from your heart and it's pure passion and pure meaning what what are your thoughts on that well i i don't know like i i think that just at this moment in my life i can agree with you um that that makes sense um if you ask me 20 years ago it might not be the case if you ask me 10 years later i do feel that just um as i say continuous improvement right physically i'm doing quite well 
you know, I'm a runner. And financially, I have a job, I have house, and those are things as well. So to me, where can I do more from an improvement perspective? So I think helping others is something that I feel that will make my total well-being better. So to me, that's this sort of my true calling. People, human being is sort of a, people may do things that's selfless, but I do believe that a lot of reason they do that is because they're selfish. Because we, we, we tend to avoid pain. Not, not everyone, but majority of people will gravitate toward feeling great, avoid pain. That's what we do. So all the intrinsic, um, um, we will gravitate toward things that are good in general. So to me, in this moment in life, and I find doing this work make me feel really good. And I also know that I can see people are benefiting from this in a long time. And I and my kids, my older one now, have more awareness of what I do. They do be more accepting of helping others. They are more in terms of socially responsible. So from that perspective, it's actually a benefit me as a parent too. So I do think that this moment in life is true calling because it selfishly, it benefits me. It, it helps you absolutely grow and, and bring more of yourself. And, you know, the more, the more we learn, the more we, we realize, I think, as, as a society and as, and as an age that, you know, our health is complex consequences of all of our relations. This is a quote from, I'm currently reading The Myth of Normal by Dr. Gabor Mate. I don't want to take credit for that. Those are his words, not mine. But we're all interconnected, like you said. And so I think it's important that we all become allies to our fellow community citizens. What, what advice or guidance can you give to someone who wants to give back and wants to help create meaning in the lives of others? Where do they start? Well, it's not something small. Even, I, I don't know, um, how often do you see stranger when you go out? But you are a very social person, but I find that living here in the GTA in Toronto, not everyone that's social. Just start with even saying good morning, saying thank you to people, basic stuff. You know, how often do you see people that are playing the role in the cashier? They don't get thanks for the job that they do. Why don't you start there? They start accumulating things that you're being helpful, being appreciative. And the other thing that I would say though is, if you are in position to help others through monetary or through your network and resources, just look around the people around you who need help and be open to yourself or reach out to me and I can hook you up with people that need help. But when you think where to start, they start with how examine the relationship you have with your surrounding, either family or the community, the people that you see day to day. Don't think that you need to reach out to some, do something great and something grand. Start with the, your own community. And gradually, when you open the, I guess, when you open your mind or when you start seeing that the different way that people need help and the different way that you can offer help, you become more aware and you will start seeing the opportunity that makes sense to you. And I'm a mentor. Not everyone wants to and are good at being a mentoring. You don't have to. But I would just say that start with the relationship around you because there's no point of being amazing 10,000 miles away and being someone not so great at home, right? Right. Yeah, it's, it's a fine balance. And 
very, very practical tips. And you're right. You know, let's, I feel like sometimes we get stuck in this concept of thinking that you have to take on the whole world or you've got to try everything and be this, you know, these grand gestures. But sometimes the most simple, basic, ordinary uh, of things can really drive significant impacts for the good, right? Not everything needs to be on Facebook. <laughs> no, of course, of course. Listen, you're you're a busy guy, so I want to be mindful of your time. But I've got one final question. You're very pragmatic. And I know, like you said, you called yourself an introvert, which I wouldn't ever peg that as you. But um, you are, you're there. You know, you're humbly doing the work. You've got your family, your personal commitments, your work commitments. And you are so selfless. Do you ever stop and think about, you know, about your personal truth? Do you feel like you're living your personal truth? Hmm. It's such a philosophical question, but that's where I spend most of my day. <laughs> I think the different version of truth for sure. I, I think I am. Um, I, I don't need to go to work and... I don't need to stay home and be someone else. I mean, there's a certain degree that you want to be, you know, you want to be present. And sort of, you, you, you have to hold back in a certain aspect who you are. But I think for the most part, what I do at work, and I do that in my own community, and my kids see that too. So I think if, if you can do what you do in your own natural habitat and at work and in other places to me, and whatever the truth is, I'm living that. Because when you, when you need to suppress the part of you so that you can be someone else, over time it will create stress. And that stress is not helpful to you. And I feel that I'm actually very good at coping with stress because I don't have to deal with that aspect, that element of you know, presenting who I am or who I'm, in, I'm not. So from that perspective, I do say that uh, but I cannot articulate to you that what is the whole truth is. I just know that just instinctively, I'm um, I'm prioritizing my time and choosing talking to interact with the type of people I want to talk to. I'm doing that in a way that makes me feel balanced. Which ultimately then leads to a sustainable and scalable essence of your personal well-being, which I think is something that we're all trying to strive towards and and for. But I will just one, say one thing if I do it infomercially. I'm always like that is, you know. No, no, uh, you, you infomercial away. <laughs> you, you, I, I would say that yes. Doing what we do takes commitment, takes practice. It's not something that you do it once and then you lay it off and don't do it again. But in order for you to build the foundation to do what you do and be able to sustain it, Examine the habit that you have. You know, I always say that start with the habit of having daily routine of feel the feed your physical well-being, your mental well-being. Read something new, stretch the muscles. So to me, I would always tell my mentees that you need to make sure that you set the right foundation of physical, mental, and social well-being as you go through a difficult job search. Have you diff go through a difficult integration period in the life in Canada because that is what that's a system that will help sustain the energy that you need. But if you think that you can set aside, well, I don't need to do exercise. I only focus on job search. 
that's not sustainable. You're going to crash. So I always tell, I will preach to everyone before you think about helping others, examine the system that you have that is sustainable, help yourself before you help others. To me, that's so important, you know, just like a clean ride, right? Give yourself the oxygen before you give it to your own kids. Yeah, and give yourself the oxygen before you give it to the people that you're supporting. And there's Rue in the background, just on cue. She wants to go for a walk. Daniel, and uh, listen, you, I, I love where we've ended with this. You know, it's never one and done. Examine the habits that you have uh, established for yourself. And evidently, all of this good work that you've been putting into practice for others has helped you achieve authenticity and truth and meaning and value and purpose in your life. And that's the stuff that this uh, existential positive psychology is, is trying to help people understand. Oh, Rue. She, Rue agrees. Rue agrees. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and surround yourself with good people, but don't just surround yourself with just good people. Think about what you can do to help making other people more positive. To me, that's important. Always build a positive community. Expand it. Daniel, thank you so much. Again, so, so inspiring to be with you. And thank you for reminding us about if we stop improving, we cease to exist. And uh, it, it's just so, so important and inspiring to see how much impact you're having for so many Canadians. So, so thank you for sharing your well-being journey with us. Thank you so much for the time. Daniel reminds us that every day, we have the opportunity to help work on solving the problems people face. Help can mean, like Daniel shows us, investing in a 30-minute conversation to be a springboard of ideas to someone who is looking at reigniting their careers. I once worked with an exceptionally talented senior executive who told me that his biggest quest was to instill more hope in the world. It was so refreshing to hear a leader of a multi-billion dollar business Tell me that other people's time and how they view their existence was a top priority for him. Human health involves the infinite roles that other minds and bodies play in shaping our well-being. And while we ourselves might be in a state of continuous growth, let's stay reminded and concerned with the growth of everyone around us too. In my next episode of Sturdy Glass Sponges, I'm joined by one of my favorite Canadian thought leaders in organizational well-being and mental health, Marianne Bainton, a workplace specialist, co-chair of the Technical Committee for the National Standard of Canada for Psychological Health and Safety in the Workplace, and Director of Strategy and Collaboration for Workplace Strategies for Mental Health with Canada Life. We continue the conversation of supporting others, but we're going to move it to the realm of the workplace. More and more, we know people are feeling completely tapped out. We were in a global mental health crisis long before 2020, and now the spiraling effects of everything feels too much. As organizations, leaders, colleagues, peers, friends. How do we support the people we work with? How do we collectively flex when someone needs time away to recover and heal? All that and more. Speak soon.